Brothers and sisters, we are in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, Ephesians 5, and so this week we will take a break after we conclude this section of Ephesians, and so we will look at verses 15 through 21, and then we'll turn our attention together to a series of sermons through the Advent Christmas season, Um, and then I think we'll come back to Ephesians that first full week in in January, the first Sunday in January. So we'll take about five weeks off here as we uh, approach the Christmas season. But this morning we will continue on in Ephesians. We'll look at verses uh, 15 through 21 of Ephesians 5 uh, together. But before we do, by way of, of setting the, the, the tone for us and the context of the passage, last Sunday night we were um, heading out, my, me and my older three kids. And so as I like to do, uh, spur of the moment, said, hey, let's go hiking. And yes, let's go hiking at night. And so we left at 7 p.m. at our house. We drove about an hour north. We got to the trailhead at the foot of the mountain and we got out of the car, we got everything ready, headlamps, of course, and I pulled all three of them together and I said, take your time, make good decisions, <laughs> look at your steps, right, and make sure you're making good steps as we make our way up this mountain, because I'm not carrying any of you off of it, right? <laughs> and I meant that with all sincerity. My knee hurts, my back hurts just standing here, much less walking up the mountain. Right, as we prepared, and then we prayed, and we went off up the trail. I've got some great pictures I can show you later, and we had a great time. A little over two miles up, and then two miles down, which coming down is harder on the knees than going up, so that was even more exhausting. But as we look at this passage this morning, that's really the kind of language the Apostle Paul uses. Was he talks about be careful. Be, acknowledge the time, right? Be wise, don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. And so these are the kinds of instructions and admonitions that we have in the text before us this morning. And as we think, right, about a context of, in that situation, walking in the dark, up the side of a mountain on treacherous terrain, our attention is different Our attitude, our disposition about hearing something like that is different than it might be normally. Well, friends, what the Apostle Paul is instructing us in here in this passage is much more important than walking at night on the side of a mountain. It is about our Christian walk day in and day out and that we can often take for granted and we can become careless and not thoughtful, we can become unwise and eventually foolish in the way that we walk and the way that we live. And so as we turn our attention to God's word, may we ask that he would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what he is instructing us in here so that we would walk according to his ways in a way that honors him. So with those things in mind, let's turn our attention to Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is God's word. May he bless not only the reading of it, but the preaching of it and the hearing of it in our hearts as well. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as we are turning our attention here, let me first point out to all of us that what the Apostle Paul is instructing us in is as Christians and how we ought to live and how we ought to walk and how we ought to go day by day in our lives. And so this morning, let me just start this way. If you're here and you don't know Christ, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this sermon is, is not for you. I hope you could hear and be edified by it uh, to some extent. But the first call for you is not to try to heed what is in this passage before us this morning. The first call for you is to look to Christ as Savior. Because you cannot follow the instructions of God's Word until you have been given a new heart through the Holy Spirit, regenerating it and being made alive and new in Christ, forgiven of your sins. And so this morning, the calls here in this passage are not for you. Actually, the call for you is exactly what Paul said in Acts chapter 16 and 17 as he preached in Athens. He says, Now God commands all people everywhere to repent, because he will judge the world in righteousness. And so there's coming a day when the Lord will send his son, Jesus Christ, to return, and he will judge all people according to his righteousness. And you and I will either be found in him or apart from him. We will either be um, sheltered under his wings, so to speak, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, because by faith we have looked to him for salvation, or we will stand to give an account for ourselves. And you and I will not be able to stand under God's righteous judgment. And so this morning, my call to you is look to Christ and be saved. Look to Christ and be saved. Trust him in his salvation. And so in light of everything that follows here, for Christians, those who have looked to Christ in faith, we recognize that new life that I just referenced and talked about means a new way of living, that God has given us a new life and he's called us to live for his glory. In fact, that's the controlling verse here in Ephesians 4. If you go back in Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. That verse propels everything forward that Paul says from that point, this is how you live a life worthy of the calling of which you've been called. This is how you walk according to the Lord's ways. Everything before that is telling us God's great work to save us and make us a people for himself. And so here we see Paul's continuing that. You'll notice there in verse 15 that this, he says, look carefully then how you walk. This theme walk has been a mega theme running through the book of Ephesians, right? We saw it all the way back in 2 1. You can go and look at 2 1 together. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked. And so this was life before Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you walked in that. You lived according to that old man, that old way. And so Paul is continuing to tease out what it looks like to walk. You can go to Ephesians 2.10 and see that we've been created, right, for, new, for good works in advance that God prepared in, in beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And then Paul has continued to use this. And so this word walk is really about the whole orientation of your life. Everything that you live day in and day out. Your heart orientation, your whole life orientation, and the way that you live. And so once again, Paul is reminding us of this. He said it in Ephesians 4.17 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. He says, now I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He says it there in 5.2, and walk in love. And here we see once again, he says, look carefully then how you walk. And so notice what the apostle is calling us to. He's calling us to carefully look and evaluate how we walk. Now notice the contrast that he'll set up here. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't walk as one who is unwise, but one who is wise. Then notice what he says next. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, as will be a surprise to those of you who are uh, a part of Antioch, I don't have PowerPoint this morning. Tyler often has great, nice PowerPoints. Let me just break this, chat, uh, this in two for you. This is our outline. The title of the sermon is Walking Together. And so first, I want us to look at verses 15 through 17, wise living. And then second, 18 through 21, spirit-filled living. All right, wise living and spirit-filled living. Now, the Apostle Paul is laid out here, look carefully how you walk, as wise, not as unwise, making the best use of your time. And don't be foolish but know what the will of the Lord is. Verse 17. All right. Let's think on these things for a few moments. So as the Apostle Paul lays this out, wise, not unwise. Verse 17, making the best use of the time. Now, it should be interesting to us here in verse 16, we could read our context back into this verse, which would be wrong and we should not do that, right? We actually live in a culture who thinks a lot about time. You can just go and type in on Amazon time management books and tons of them will come up. Tons of books on productivity, tons of books on time management, tons of books on how to get more out of your day and to get the most out of productivity. There is great Christian books on that, right? Written by, by great folks who have thought long and hard about these things. I would recommend some of them to you. But yet what Paul is talking about here, we shouldn't read our context through that because so often, not the Christian books, but so often in our own cultures, we think about time management, there are multiple things that, that we're not thinking about. One, our culture is not thinking about the end. They're not thinking about the end. They're not thinking about that this life is not all there is. So often what is driven in those books is that this life is all there is, right? And so they're not thinking about that. Two, they're often thinking about what you can get done for you and not what you can get done for the Lord and for his glory and for his kingdom. The Psalms tells us to teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so here Paul has talked about wisdom in this very passage, and he says, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. We should be well aware. We should be well aware, right, that, 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 this, that we will not live forever and that we have opportunities and chances today that we'll never get back again. These are realities. As, as, as parents, as you get to this time of year, right, you begin to, to reminisce and think back on the way things were, and then, you, and then oftentimes you'll think forward about, wow, things won't be this way forever either. We, we, we have limited amounts of time. And the Apostle Paul here, he says, 
making the best use of the time. This could be even translated redeeming the time, right? Buying back the time, using the time, because the days are evil. Friends, we can think back to Ephesians 2 that we just looked at. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, right? This is our context. We are in a context of darkness. We are in a context of, of godlessness, of people who absolutely are rebelling against the Lord. And this is nothing new under the sun, of people who are rebelling against the Lord and against his ways, and they're pursuing their own glory and their own kingdoms when God has brought us out of darkness and into the light and has called us to live for his kingdom and for his glory and for the good of others. And therefore, we cannot walk in step with the world around us. Even as we saw back in uh, 4.17, as it talked about there, of walking according to the new man, of living in light of that, that you and I must live in a way that is in step with the Lord and his plans and his purposes. And this is exactly the tone that the Apostle Paul is using here. Notice what he says. In light of that, Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is the Lord's will? Let's think about this narrowly first within the context of Ephesians. What does Ephesians 1.3 say? It says, he chose us to be what? Holy and blameless. So the book starts with his will. His will is that you and I, that he has done this great plan of redemption so that we would be holy and blameless to the praise of his glorious grace, which is said three times in that passage in the beginning of the book, right? This is the Lord's will, that he has done this great work of salvation for you and for I in Christ Jesus, that we would be holy and blameless to the praise of his glorious grace. You could just go on Amazon too, and I maybe not recommend this one, and just look about look for books about discerning the Lord's will. So many people have written so many things about this. But sometimes this we, we think about all the small things and strain at gnats and swallow the camels that are right there in front of our faces. That the Lord's will is that we'd be holy and blameless in Christ Jesus, that we would pursue lives of holiness. Look in Ephesians 5:8. As we've already seen, as Tyler pointed out last week, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light. You, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He's been, he's been calling us to this throughout this letter to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so all the way throughout and through the end of this book, he's, he's pointing us to God's will. That we'd be holy and blameless because of what Christ has done for us. That we'd pursue this holiness and that we'd walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. And what does that look like? It looks like loving one another in the context of the church that we saw in Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth and love to one another. Building one another up. It looks like putting off sexual immorality. Fleeing those things and pursuing holiness. It will continue on here in this passage as we continue to walk in this way and love one another in a spirit-filled life, it, it, it impacts our marriages, our parenting, the way that we do everything in our lives, as we will see as we continue forward.
Yet, notice the language that the Apostle Paul uses. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Friends, do you ever have a hard time discerning what is the right thing to do right now? In this context, in this situation that I'm in, for some of you, the most godly thing you could do this afternoon is go and take a nap. You just need, <laughs> you just need to receive the Lord's rest, right? You need, to, you need to just stop and rest because you have been working too hard. You need to concede that you are not God and lay down and close your eyes. He gives his beloved sleep. For some of you, that would be slothful. For some of you, what you need to do is go and invest in someone else because you've spent a lot of time investing in yourself. Right? We need wisdom to know what to do at what point. And so, so, so look at, at this passage as it, as it uses this language that we should look carefully how we walk, that we shouldn't be unwise, that we, we must be wise, that we must make the best use of our time, and that we should not be foolish. We must understand what the will of the Lord is. So, what do we need to do? You and I, what we need to do is pursue wisdom. We must pursue wisdom. This is the language that the Apostle Paul is using here. And so, so we can look through, as I just said a moment ago, the book of Ephesians, and we can see clearly what God's will is and what he's called us to. But even as we, as we return in a couple of weeks and we, and we look at God's plan for marriage, we're going to need wisdom to know what it looks like to honor the, our wives in this certain circumstance. And, and wives, you're going to need to know what it looks like to, to honor your husband in this certain circumstance. And so to do that, we're going to need wisdom. And the Bible is incredibly clear on how we should get wisdom. So if you'll allow me to pull this thread a little bit and trace this theme through Scripture, I'm going to give you several references and point you to several different places. Proverbs 4 or 5 is probably one of the Proverbs is what we think of often. We think of wisdom in the Bible. And in Proverbs 4 or 5, it says, Get wisdom. Get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Prize her, that's wisdom, he's personifying her. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. That's verse four of Proverbs, I mean verse eight of Proverbs four. So notice what Solomon is saying there. Get wisdom, get insight. Well, the application that I would point us to in this passage is that we would pursue wisdom. And we see that we're told, get wisdom, get insight. How do we get wisdom? How do we pursue her? How do we prize her? Let me point you back to Deuteronomy 17 first. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. And in Deuteronomy 17, the Lord is giving instructions for kings that will come from Israel. And there in Deuteronomy 17, in 18 through 20, this is what he says. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. So he's telling him the king needs a copy of God's word. Right? Notice what he says next. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. Pause. 
Just go and read First and Second Kings and lament and just say, wow, if they just would have done what was back here. God said it so clearly, right? Notice what he says. And it shall be with him, he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words that are in the law in these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So notice a couple things. It says here that that he would have the word with him, that he would read the word, right, all the days of his life, and that, notice what it says, the very next thing, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. So what it's telling us is that the word instructs us to fear the Lord. It instructs us to fear the Lord, and then it says that he would not turn to it from the right or the left. Just, Just follow that theme throughout the Old Testament. It's exactly what... God tells Joshua as they're going to cross over. Now, go back to Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the word instructs our hearts to fear the Lord. Solomon, typifying what is there in Deuteronomy 17, right? is now instructing Israel and instructing us in wisdom. And he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Can you think of a time in your life when you're like, I, I don't tell me how to do that. I know how to do that. And then you went and did it and you did it wrong. You're like, if I'd only listened to them. And it, a lot of times it can be simple things, right? Sometimes it could have been something that cost you a lot more than just a mild inconvenience. And so, so here, that's us being foolish, he says, it's the fear of the Lord. So, so what instructs us to fear the Lord? God's word. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then notice what he says in the very next verse, 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. That word teaching in the Hebrew is Torah. Forsake not your mother's Torah. Forsake not God's word. So here, what we're seeing is this thread running through that you and I need God's word. Because why is this instruction there for the king? Because as goes the king, so goes Israel, right? So he is to be a man who is after God's own heart, who who is consumed with God's word and guided by God's word so that all people will be guided by God's word and so that they would have this fear and they would have this wisdom. So, so, So let's put it together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The word of the Lord instructs us to fear him. Wisdom is the teaching of the Torah of God or the word of God. So how do we get wisdom? We get wisdom by God's grace as we read, know, and submit to his word. That's how we get wisdom. As we read, know, and submit to his word. Do his word. This is exactly what is there in the Psalms, and, and then, I mean, there in that passage, let me read to you one more thing. As I walked away the beginning of the month, after preaching 4.17, and that whole passage of what we're called to, there 
was laid out. Now I say this and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and they're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to all these impurities, right? But he said, you didn't learn Christ that way. It's not the way you heard about him. You were taught in him the truth in Jesus Christ. Put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life, and put on the new. Now, contrast that with this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, memorize that psalm and meditate on it. But that contrast matches so well what we're seeing here in Ephesians and really what we see in the whole Bible. There are two ways to live. There are those who will find, who will, who will yield to the Lord and the grace that He extends to them in Christ Jesus. And they will bear the fruit of righteousness. And there are those who will continue in their hell-bound, obstinate way of pursuing self-glory. And this, uh, this psalm makes it so clear one is a way of flourishing, right, and fruit. And the other is like chaff. It's just nothing. It's nothing. The wind drives it away. One, the life by God's grace will yield fruit for his glory and for the good of others. And the other, that life will come of nothing. And then notice what it says in the very end. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It will come of nothing. None of us would say that. I would say, that's what I want for my life. I hope it amounts to absolutely nothing. And it's just dri- driven away like a little bit of chaff, stepped on and devoured in the fire. Friends, these are more than verses for coffee cups, right? This is God's word to instruct us in life and in righteousness for his glory. So, so what should we do besides me pull the right ribbon to get back to the, to the passage? All right, here we go. Couldn't find my place. So what should we do? Notice what Paul says here in verse 15 again. Look carefully how you walk. Careful. Thoughtful. Mindful. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Get wisdom. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. The context in which we are in is no joke. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Friends, we must pursue wisdom. We must have hearts that are tuned to the Lord and His Word and yield to His Word. And we need His Spirit to help us do that which just leads us right into what Paul says next. 
18 through 20. What is a spirit-filled living? Notice what he says. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, at the outset, let me just point this out. 18 through 21 is is one sentence in the Greek. It's one entire sentence as as it runs through. And so so notice what he does in in 18. First, he sets a contrast. And this is to set a contrast between two things, right? He, he, He points out don't and a do, right? A negative and a positive. And so in 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. I think the Apostle Paul is pointing to something that, that they all are familiar with and that we certainly know in our own context, right? Of a mind that is under the influence or swayed by, in this uh, case, alcohol, right? To, to be drunk. The Bible's clear. To be drunk is a sin. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. And what is he saying? To be under the influence of something else, it, 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 the contrast is it's just going to lead to further sin. So it's a contrast between to be drunk with wine, to be under that or to be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And he says, one leads to debauchery or further sin, and the other leads to this glorious fruit that we'll see as the passage continues on. And so the Apostle Paul lays out, he says, don't be under the influence of this. But but friends, let's just stop for a moment and let's just recognize there are many things that we could be influenced by outside of just beverage alcohol. We, we live in a culture that, that uses that kind of language for, for all kinds of things, right? To anesthetize ourselves and, and to just, just to, be, to be numb from reality. Let's sit down and binge this show, right? I mean, think about where that language comes from. Let's, let's, how about some retail therapy? There was a lot of that going on this past weekend, wasn't there? Right, about some retail therapy, these types of things that, that, we, can, that we can numb ourselves to, to the realities of the world. We're not being careful and we're not walking as wise, but we're being unwise because we are just, because we have this privilege and opportunity in our prosperity to be disconnected from reality. Right? And so, so I think we should acknowledge that and, and even search our own hearts because we, we maybe I would never be tempted to be drunk. Praise the Lord for that. But what about other things that could lead you astray, that, 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 could, that you could be under the sway and the influence of in this world? And so the emphasis here is, is on being filled with the Spirit. And so what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I'm going to run you through several. I'll be glad to send you any of these. Just quotes from people smarter than me, right? Which it's not hard to find people smarter than me. But let me, just, let me just run you through, through several different understandings or, or, or of what's going on in this passage that, that I think are helpful and right and good. James Hamilton wrote a book called God's Indwelling Presence, and in it he says this, When Paul gives the command, be filled with the Spirit, Paul is not commanding people to be inspired by, the, by a rush of the Spirit's power, but calling for a way of life marked by the fruit of the Spirit. It's not unlikely that Paul means for the participles that follow to flesh out what it means to be filled with the Spirit. 
You see what he's saying? So what's following this is fleshing out. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Because we can hear that language too. And just like our thoughts on time, we can read back into it our own context, into this passage. And so, so he says, what's following? So what does it mean? He says, he believes that it means to be filled with the Spirit. He's commanding us to a life, a way of life marked by the fruit of the Spirit and what follows in these verses is, is, is what that life, spirit-filled life, looks like. J.I. Packer in his classic Keep in Step with the Spirit says this, Paul describes spirit-filledness in terms of a lifestyle that all Christians should have been practicing from conversion. He says, so he, he, he describes a spirit-filled lifestyle in terms of a lifestyle that all Christians should ha- have been practicing since conversion. Let me read you one other Graham Cole, who's done a lot of work, an Australian theologian, on pneumatology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, he says this. As the church practices these activities, he's talking about this passage specifically, that the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he he says this, as they practice these activities, that the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is obeyed. He says, let me put it another way. If we speak to one another, make melody in our hearts, and we're thankful and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ when we meet, then the Spirit indeed will control us. However, to pursue the Spirit's control is to miss it. Next, one more. Paul has an entire, the entire church in mind. The church is to be filled by the Spirit with the presence of God, a reality that will become manifest through the community habits and practices. So notice the command, verse 18. And he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then according to our understanding of this passage, or my understanding of this passage, what follows is the means of how this is coming about. So notice what he says. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always. First, notice the corporate context of the language. This should not be unfamiliar to the book of Ephesians, right? Notice this corporate context. Think about Ephesians 4, 2, And three, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So there's, he's talking about the bond that we have in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about this in corporate language that we would bear with one another in love and would be eager to maintain that. That's what the Spirit does. It unifies us, right? It brings us together. Think about Ephesians 4.30 where we have language, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's that followed by? This do not grieve is followed immediately in the next verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God forgave you in Christ. What I'm pointing out is is that this is not not foreign to us in Ephesians over and over. This language uh, that talking about the Holy Spirit is in this corporate context. So, so now, here again, the call is to be filled and it's followed by these instructions that are corporate in nature. Just think for a moment about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That has to be lived out in a corporate context. 
I, I, I'm, not, I'm not living out the fruit of the Spirit at home by myself on the couch. I'm at peace with myself most of the time, right? I don't have to be patient with me. I like me. I, I get along with me pretty good. I'm, I'm good at being kind to me and good and so on, right? But if, but if I'm going to have love and joy and peace with one another and pursue it, I've got to be around others to exercise patience and to, to, to be loving toward others. Love is patient. I have to be in the context of the local body. Gentleness, self-control. If we're going to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, we, we have to be in this corporate context. And so, so notice what Paul calls them to here is he says, be filled with the Spirit. It, it, it harkens back to Speak the truth and love to one another, right? Of building one another up. Look at what he says, verse 19. Addressing one another. This is speaking the truth and love. Addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So we're called to sing truth and praises to God over one another. Right? What we did prior to to preaching is not just tradition. It's because God's words commanded us and instructed us to do that. I mean, think about really how strange that is in our context. There's just nowhere you go where there's such a focus on corporate singing, not even at a concert. Right? Not the way that it should be in the church. Of course, that's the problem is when the church mimics the concert. But the goal is for us to come together and to sing praises to the, to the Lord and those truths we're singing over one another and to one another as well. I don't know about you, but I need that. It does my heart good to hear other people sing, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Oh, other people struggle too? Either that or they're lying while they're singing. I don't know which one it is, right? So they're struggling with lying, so they're still struggling. So, so you know what I'm saying? So, so here, we, we need that. There are, there are days that we can barely lift our heads in praise, but to hear others singing over us as they sing to the Lord with joy and cheer our hearts and call us anew, right, to faithfulness in the Lord. Give thanks to God in all things. Notice that the apostle has said this already in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And here, once again, he says, thanksgiving, singing thanks to God in all things. Friends, it's not just a season that we came out of, but for Christians, our lives should be marked by thanksgiving constantly. Why? Because we have received something that we did not deserve whatsoever that we cannot lose in Christ Jesus. And so so out of that should, should flow this constant thanksgiving from our hearts giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice what he says last, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. As we address one another, as we speak the truth in love to one another, as we defer to one another, as we, Philippians 2, put the interest of others first, there's, there's this continual, right? Notice it doesn't say anywhere in here that, that you should plant your feet and say, oh, you should submit to me, right? At that point, you're not submitting or yielding yourself. And so, so what we're seeing here that Paul is laying out, which this submission will, will bridge its way into the verses that come, right? It's, it's the, 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 the verse that takes us into the next section of the letter. But here in the church, he talks about how there should be this mutual yielding to one another, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us in Christ. He's already said, pursuing unity with each other, being eager to maintain that, practicing and exercising gentleness, uh, within the church context, right? And so here the Apostle Paul is pointing out that this, and you just got to believe it, right? You and I know it if we're honest in our own hearts. This is otherworldly. Because in and of ourselves, we'll plant our feet and say, you guys all revolve around me. Because I got it right. And you all are wrong. Right? That comes natural. If you don't believe me, let's walk to the back just for a moment, and we'll see it back there somewhere. Some kid will be planting their feet and be like, nope, we're not doing it this way. We're doing it my way, right? So we're just better at hiding it than they are. And so for you and I to have this and to practice this, that this is spirit-filled life together. As we gather together and we sing praises to the Lord And we encourage one another, even in the singing, as we're speaking the truth and love to one another, even through our singing. And we're offering sincere praise and thanksgiving to God the Father. In a culture where we are incredibly wealthy, and we could be tempted to say, all by our own might. Right? I work hard for everything I have. Friend, you didn't choose to be born in this time and in this place with the gifts and the abilities that you have in a, in a society where there is civility, which is going quickly by the wayside, right? And where there are opportunities, you didn't choose to have those gifts and at one moment anything could be stripped away from you. God forbid there could be an accident that could change all of that in a heartbeat for any of us. Friends, how dare we be so prideful to think It's all because of what we've done in our own hard work. As the Apostle Paul humbled the church at Corinth and said, what do you have that you did not receive? That it all should be through sincere thanksgiving and praise the Lord. Let me give you a couple points of application on this point. First, corporate worship must be just that. Corporate. First point of application, sing. Sing. I don't care if you can sing or not. Sing. That's not why we're here. This is not auditions, right? We're not looking for the best. Right? We're looking for let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Sing. Because as we sing together, we are speaking the truth to one another in love and we are singing sincere praise to the Lord. This is not just an exercise for us to do. This is how God has instructed us. Sing to the Lord and know that it benefits others. Second, 
Know people who are around you. Know them. Know others. Here's why. Knowing one another makes the singing all the more meaningful. Because I promise you there will come a day soon when you will look across the aisle and you'll be like, man, I know what that brother or that sister is going through. And that they could lift their voice in praise to the Lord. In the midst of that, it will so encourage your heart and humble you to know that and see that. Sing and know those around you who you're singing with. Third, speak life to one another. Speak life to one another. Be committed to the word. So as you study God's word and you pursue wisdom, it's going to enable you to speak truth to others in love with gentleness and patience. Because you're going to have lots of opportunities as you're getting to know them and as you are building this, this trust and love with one another, they're going to ask for your input. What should I do in this situation? They're seeking wisdom themselves. And God's going to use you to encourage them and to point them along the way and to point out maybe ways where they parted from the path to the right or to the left. So as you are committed to speaking the life to one another and you're committed to pursuing the word, you'll be able to encourage and to warn and you'll be able to help discern with others. Third, make the best use of your time. Find ways to redeem the time. You've heard Tyler say it often, right? You can find ways to do what you're already doing that you have to do and to bring others along with you, right? Where we can spend time together. We can engage in the things that, that we have to do, but we can find ways to bring others along in our lives in the midst of that. It's unconventional and will not be natural to the world, but that is okay as we seek to use, make the best use of our time to get to know others, to spend time with them, bring them along for meals, bring them along for, for chores and for errands, enjoy one another's company as brothers and sisters in Christ and spend time together. Third, or last, let me end with this. We need each other and we need this weekly gathering. We need it. So don't miss unless you absolutely have to. Listen to the words of J.C. Ryle. Never be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. Never to miss the Lord's Supper when administered in our own congregation. Never to let our place be empty when the means of grace are going on. This is one way to be growing, a growing and prosperous Christian. Listen to what he says. The very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain the precious word and season for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and praise from which we stay away may be the very gathering that would have cheered, established, and quickened our hearts. Think about the times that you're here and how the Lord absolutely uses it to give you, to strengthen your faith, to give you the grace that you need to encounter what's in the week ahead. And think about the times that we might needlessly miss it and what grace we may be missing from the Lord. And think about the times that we needlessly miss it and what opportunities we miss with those around us who need us in their life and need the encouragement that we would offer to them. And think about the times that we come here and we're so wrapped up in our own agenda that we rush through and we miss those opportunities 
to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us grace and that you would mark us as a church, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit as we gather together and we sing praises to you. We sing this truth over one another, to one another, reminding each other and calling one another on to faithfulness. Father, we pray that we would be, have hearts that are thankful to you always in all things. And Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom. Your word instructs us if we don't have it to ask for it. Father, we pray that as we read your word, that we'd be diligent and committed to it. As those who are blessed to have copies laying around to spare. Father, may we read it and may we join the psalmist in saying that it is better than gold, even much fine gold. It is better than the sweetest drippings of the honeycomb are your word. May we cherish it. May it nourish us. And Father, may we not only hear it, read it, but may we do it and live it by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.